We're going to start our year off, 2020, with a powerful 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we're going to end that with our One Thing Prayer Revival. So I want you to make sure you put that on your calendar, end of January, the last weekend of January. And uh, we're just going to start 2020, that's weird to say, extremely focused and on the same page, going after the vision and mission that God has put in our heart together. So let's get ready for that. Our family loves to make memories. In fact, that's a phrase we use in our family a lot. My dad says all the time, we're making memories. Even if it's something that's not so good, even if it's a memory you really don't want to remember, my dad will just look at you and say, son, we're making memories. And so I say that to my kids a lot, and we've done some crazy things together in an effort to make some memories. But it's funny how sometimes the most um, frustrating or the most challenging times that you have together as a family can be some of those most beautiful memories. I remember one of my favorite games that we've ever been to. We're big NC State fans. Winning or losing, we're big fans. Rain or shine, we're big fans. Uh, we went to the Notre Dame football game a few years ago when uh, we played Notre Dame at home. Anybody remember what was special about that day? There was a hurricane. It was soaking wet. And, and I remember it was cold and it was rainy. And I told my family before we left for that game, I said, guys, I just, it's going to be miserable. I mean, it's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy. And, and we need to go in this with expectations that it's going to be just a horrible time. But we're going to go and we're going to make memories together. And we did. It was the best game that we've ever been to. My, my daughter had on these big rain boots. And I'll never forget, she looked at me in the middle of this pouring down rain and she goes, dad, look, and she just pours water out of her boot. I mean, it was just, just a beautiful memory. And, and it's crazy the things that we will do for the people we love and for the things that we enjoy doing. All right. So let me ask you this question. What's your thing? What would you go see? What would you pay to do? What would you go experience even if it was just like torrential conditions? I mean, I went and saw, I took my family to see Johnny Swim, my favorite band at, at the amphitheater this year. Pouring down rain. Had the best time. Sat there through every, you know, it was great. What would you do or who would you go see? What, what, what challenges would you endure just to go experience it? because you wanted to. Think about that for a second. And those are big events for a big reason. Those things motivate us and, and they entertain us and, and they inspire us. And during this series, The Thrill of Hope, we're talking about a big event. It's huge. It's Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus. It starts in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the time, some wise men, that's very important, we're looking at the wise men today, Wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. And I want you to say this phrase with me. Read it with me. And we have come to worship him. Why'd they come? Let's read that again. And we have come to worship him. Now, we all have an idea of who these wise men are because we actually have their action figures in our nativity set. I always like to use nativity set as action figures. Uh, I always like to have G.I. Joe and all of his friends come and worship Jesus with the wise men when I was a kid. But we have that displayed in our home somewhere, whether it's a nativity set or 
a picture or something. And, 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 and we all had this idea of what this all looked like, right? And they were definitely wise men. They were not wise women. How do we know that? Because wise women would have asked for directions, got their own time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and gave gifts that were actually helpful. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How about some diapers? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everybody giving some gifts that were helpful. So let's see how much we actually know about these guys. First of all, how many wise men were there? That's what we think. The Bible says nothing about there being three wise men. We, re we really don't know. There could have been five. It could have been 50. We say three because they brought three gifts. And so we just kind of assume that because they brought three gifts that there were three of them. The reality is we, we, really, we really don't know. And, and here's what we also got to see. They weren't even there at the nativity set, right? We, we put them there. You know, we put them in our Christmas play. But the reality was they didn't show up till much later. Could have been six months later, could have been a couple of years later. We really don't know. So just so you know, when you go home at their wise men at your nativity set, your nativity set is not historically accurate. <laughs> Neither is mine. We bought one a few years ago and it was on clearance. And that's where it was an issue. Okay. All right. My wife is correcting. We did not buy a nativity set, and for those of you who say nativity, you're wrong. It's a nativity, and and we bought it on clearance, and I bought it on clearance. Yeah. And here's why it was on clearance. Joseph was missing. There was no Joseph. And so I took one of the shepherds, and I upgraded his position. So our nativity set was kind of scandalous if you really want to think about it. Not only was Mary a virgin engaged to Joseph, somebody kidnapped him and a shepherd stepped in took his place. So it was extremely scandalous, but not historically accurate. Beautiful. But we do know there were three gifts, right? Say it with me. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? I don't even know what myrrh is, but gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, we also, some people think that they were from the Orient, and we get that from the song, right? We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Why does that song sound so depressing? <laughs> it's like a very depressing Christmas song. But we really don't know they're from the Orient because the Bible just says they're from the East. Scholars' best guess is they were from Persia, most likely modern-day Iran or Iraq. But here's, here's, here's the main thing, right? We automatically assume, because they were wise men, that they were very welcomed and honored by everybody. But the reality was they were outsiders. And to the people of Jesus' day, the wise men would have been greeted with great suspicion. So here's the question. Why do we put so much emphasis on these wise men? Why do they play such an important role in the Christmas story? And I think Matthew answered that question with a few words. And you repeated those words with me. And here it is. We have come to worship him. And the reality is this, it's kind of the big idea for today. I want you to write this down if you're a Bible note taker, and I hope that you are. Here's what, here's what we have to understand. We are all looking for something to worship. Now, I want you to lean in. I want you to really think about this next thought, because it's really important. It's the thing I really want to zero in today. Pastor Louis Giglio puts it this way. Worship is our response to what we value most. We talk a lot about worship, 
And I don't want you to see worship as, oh, I go to worship service, right? We think of worship as an event or a service that we attend on Sunday morning. Worship is so much more than the hour and 15 minutes that we spend together on Sunday morning. Worship is a way of life. It's what we're created for. We were created to worship. And the Bible says if we don't worship, the very rocks will cry out in our place. The rocks will worship God in our place. We were created to worship. But the reality is worship is our response to what we value most. So let me ask you, what do you, what do you value most? What gets you pumped up? What gives you purpose and meaning? What, what moves you? Now think about that for a second. Think about times in your life when you have been moved. I, I remember one of the first things that I did to ever see my wife just like moved. Like moved in a way I'd never seen her move before. I took her to, to, to Monday Night Nitro, a world wrestling event in the Dean Dome in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I was a big wrestling fan growing up. And I convinced my wife to go watch wrestling in the Dean Dome in Chapel Hill. And my wife sat silently while this place went crazy. Man, the, the Nitro girls would come out. We, we took two students with us from youth ministry. They were high school guys. I'll never forget. Every time the Nitro girls would come out, Anthony Gallo and Tebow, if you know, would go crazy, man. Just losing their minds. Man, we, we worship what we value most. And these people were just going crazy every time something would happen. And, and, and if, you, if you're a wrestling fan, it was the night that Rey Mysterio beat Bam Bam Bigelow. That was a big deal, man. <laughs> some of you are, lost some respect for me right then in that moment. But my wife was just not having it. She just kind of sat there silently. And then all of a sudden, the lights go down. And we hear this. Do it with me. Right? Right? Well, who is that? What is that? Ric Flair. There's some other people in the room who you just lost respect for. And, and Ric Flair comes out and he was doing it, man. He, he was doing his nature boy thing. Yeah, yeah. Woo! To be the man? Oh, come on, my people. My people. All right. After service, we're going to meet over here. We're going to talk about some things. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice in the middle of all of that screaming to the top of her lungs. And I look over, and my wife is standing up going, Woo! Woo! <laughs> she was moved in that moment. Fast forward a few years, we have kids, and my daughter is a tween. She's like 12, and she wanted to go to a concert, and so I decide to take my daughter to a Jonas Brothers concert, Walnut Creek Amphitheater, and here I am, me and thousands of other 12-year-old girls. And all of a sudden, the stage went dark, and it was the burn-up tour, so there were like fire and explosions, and there was an orchestra, which always gets me, it moves me, you know, and it's just building with anticipation, and all of a sudden, here the Jonas Brothers come up from the floor, bam, 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 bam. and I look over at my daughter, and she's going, Hey, y'all, I'm not joking. Here was my response. I went, I cried. I 
was moved to tears because my daughter was so happy. Like, it was something about that experience that, that moved me. Like, we are all moved by different things. And some of you are like, I can't believe you were so moved by a wrestling event or a concert. Yeah, you stood in line for hours to get in Wegmans when it opened. It's a grocery store with a really good food court, I'll be honest. See, the thing is, we are all moved by something. And people are so passionate about the things they value. And we will go to extremes to experience something that we love. Why? Because worship is our response to what we value most. And some of you, it's not all those things. I'll tell you what you value most. It's what you see in the mirror. It's why when you take a picture and somebody shows you a picture, hey, look at this picture. What is the first thing that you look at if you're in that picture? You look at yourself. You don't see anything else in that picture. It could be a beautiful picture, and the first thing you notice is, well, I don't really like my smile. My R's aren't open. You're like, the first thing you do is we look at us. Why? Because worship is our response to what we value most. We worship all kinds of stuff. David Foster Wallace, who's a very accomplished author, but by no means a religious man, gave a commencement address and talked about worship. And this is what he says. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else will eat you alive. Again, not a religious man. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure. You will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. If you worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart. And you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or even sinful. Here it is. It's that they are unconscious and they are our default settings. Why? Because we were created to worship. The thing is, we get to choose what it is that we worship. So we all worship and we all worship something. The question is, what or who will we worship? And if we don't choose intentionally, here's the thing, you will choose by default. And, and as the wise men approach to, to find Jesus so that they can come and worship him, they run into this guy named King Herod. And I want you to see today that King Herod's response to Jesus was very different than the wise men's response to Jesus. Look at verse 3. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So he called for a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then look at what Herod did. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the first star appeared. Now, King Herod was a very unique character. And it was clear what he valued most. It was three things. It was power, it was prosperity, and it was pleasure. 
And he wanted to protect those things so much that he would do whatever it took to protect those things if he felt that those things were threatened. In fact, he felt so threatened by his own sons that he had two of them killed just to protect his power, his prosperity, and his pleasure. And then all of a sudden, here's King Herod, gets word that there's a baby being born named Jesus, and all of these important men from all of these other places have come into town, and here's what they're calling him, the king of the Jews. But there's only one problem for Herod. There can only be one king. And in his mind, that position was locked up. And anybody else who threatened that position had to go. Why? Because worship is our response to what we value most. And here's what I want you to see today. Kind of lean in. If you don't hear anything else, you got to hear this, okay? If we aren't careful, our default position will be to worship the wrong thing. I've seen people jump from one bad relationship to another. Why? Because they're searching somebody to fill the void that they have in their heart. We worship what we value most. I've seen people sacrifice their marriages and their family relationships, things that are very important in their life because their career is what they value most. We worship all kinds of stuff. We worship money, we worship sex, we worship relationships, we worship power, we worship prestige and prosperity, just like Herod did. You name it, we worship it. We worship our own addictions, pills, alcohol, pornography, shopping, eating, working out, whatever it is, people will worship it. Why? Because worship is our response to what we value most. And verse 9 says, And after this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, the Bible says they were filled with joy, and they entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Two very different responses from Herod and the wise men. Here's what you got to see. Herod saw Jesus as a threat to what mattered most to him. And in an effort to protect it, his power, his prestige, and his pleasure, he ordered the slaughter of every baby boy born in Bethlehem anywhere near the time of Jesus' birth. Why? Because Jesus was a threat to what mattered most to him. And so he pushed him aside. But the wise men, their response should be our response. Fall on your knees. Think about the song. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks. A new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine. Oh, night. Oh, night divine. This Christmas season... Are you responding like the wise men? 
Are you falling on your knees and worshiping him? Or is your response to push Jesus away because you feel like saying yes to him threatens what's most important in your life? Think about that for a second. Are you responding like the wise men and falling down on your knees and worshiping him? Or like Herod, are you pushing Jesus away because you feel like saying yes to him or surrendering to him threatens what's really most important in your life? And there's probably some people in the room who would say, you know, I'm not like King Herod. I'm not against Jesus. I'm not anti-Jesus. But you aren't exactly falling down on your knees and worshiping him either. So maybe you would say, you know, Pastor, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not passionately following Jesus. I've not put my faith and my trust in him. But I'm certainly not against Jesus or anybody who else wants to do that. I'm just neutral, kind of in the middle. But here's the problem. When it comes to Jesus, you can't be neutral. You can't be in the middle. Because here's the thing, and I want you to hear me. Not making a decision is really making a decision. Not making a decision to follow him. Not making a decision to put your hope and your trust in him. Not making a decision to invite him into your life. Here's what you're doing. Ultimately, by default, you were choosing something else above him. Now let me get really personal and vulnerable with you today. And I, I'm serious, okay? I want you to really hear what I'm saying today. I cannot make it in this life and definitely not in the next without falling on my knees and worshiping Jesus. I'm going to be abundantly clear. I cannot make it in this life or the next without falling down on my knees and worshiping Him. Because here's what I discovered. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. And I discovered that Jesus loves me and wants a personal relationship with me. And so my response, fall down on my knees and worship him. When I was in college, I was struggling with relationships. I was struggling with my health. I felt completely out of control and I did not know what to do about it. So I fell down on my knees and I worshiped him. When Marianne and I first got married, our, our first child, we miscarried. And we felt pain we had never experienced before. We didn't know what to do. So we fell down on our knees and we worshiped him. In the middle of a battle with cancer, we have been so rocked at times. Our response, fall down on my knees and worship him. I don't have any other response. I don't know anything else to do. Because I've tried a bunch of other stuff and nothing seems to work. But for some reason, when I fall down on my knees and I worship him, and there's a peace that I can't experience any other way. There's a joy and a love I can't experience any other way. I can't make it without him and neither can you. So what should our response be? 
fall down on my knees and worship him. Why? Because worship is our response to what we value most. As David Foster Wallace puts it, everyone worships. The only choice we get is what or who we worship. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want you to really this morning just take really good hard look what do you value most what gets your time what gets you pumped up what gives you purpose what gives you meaning what are you investing the majority of your time doing I I, I saw something on Facebook somebody from North Park actually posted it and, and, and when I saw it, I thought, oh, I want to repost that. But I thought, no, because I, I, I want somebody to hear my heart before I just kind of post something. But here's what it said, and it got me. Church should be our excuse for not being able to do other things, not the other way around. What does it say? It says so often we choose other things before we choose Jesus. And I'm not just talking about church. I'm just talking about the position of our heart. That's why I didn't want to just put it out there, right? Because we just put stuff out there and we don't get to explain ourselves. We don't get to share our heart about it. It's just a sentence. What does it do? It just makes people mad. I want you to hear my heart. So often we choose other things We value other things. We value other people. And none of those things are wrong. I'm not saying those things are sinful. But the moment that we allow those things to matter more than our relationship with Jesus, do you know what the Bible calls that? An idol. And the moment that we put something at a higher place of value in our life more than our relationship with Jesus... We're worshiping that. That thing, that person, that hobby, whatever that is. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be something that you participate in. If it's sinful, you shouldn't, but other things. What I'm saying is the moment that we value something more than we do this relationship with Jesus, we're out of balance here. I spent a lot of time over the last couple of days just evaluating what matters in my life. What should matter? Where am I investing my time? What's getting the majority of my mind? What's what's getting the majority of my heart? Is Jesus truly Lord of all in my life? Because if he's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart. But there are so many other distractions. I'm not sure we're seeking Him first. Matthew 6 and 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness this other stuff will work out. Just got to put it first.